Hey, Matt here, and this week I'm on a business retreat getting ready for the next Epic Intensive. If you haven't heard, it's August 3rd, 4th, and 5th in St. Louis. All of the details can be found at epicintensive.com. Anyway, while preparing for the event, I got to thinking about a particular episode of this show that I had released right at the end of last year, and it happened to be one of the more popular episodes of this show ever with my good friend, Mitch Steven. And during that conversation, there were a few ideas created during our conversation that has really created some unique and profitable strategies that has added new profit centers to my business this year. And I'm, I'm gonna be sharing those at the Epic Intensive. So in case you missed it or forgot about it, I'm gonna replay that episode for you today just an encore performance, and uh, I think it's worth it. And if you haven't uh, registered for the Epic Intensive, seats are almost gone. Go to epicintensive.com and grab your seat for what's certain to be our best live training yet, as I'm going to reveal the weapons of mass production that has turned 2017 into my best year in real estate ever, as well as many of my students that are having epic years. So go to epicintensive.com, grab your spot, and enjoy the show. I'll see you next week for another brand new, fresh live episode of Epic Real Estate investing. Take care. This is Terrio Media. Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. Uh, yeah, what's up? Hello and Welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing, the place where I show people how to escape the rat race using real estate. So if you're just getting started and or if you're looking for new and creative ways of making money in real estate, I've put together a free course just for you, including a checklist on how to find motivated sellers. Those are property owners that are willing and able to sell you their property at a discount. And to access that free course, you may do so at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com, freerealestateinvestingcourse.com, Okay. Super. I've got another great show for you today. Today's show and uh, last week's show are right there at the top of the list of, I think, my favorite episodes of the year. I met today's guest also in my mastermind group, just like last week's guest. And, and not until recently did I realize what kindred spirits we are. And because of this, he makes a perfect guest, as I know you're going to want to know all about his creative strategy for creating big chunks of cash and long streams of cash flow. You can have your cake and you can have, you eat it too. That's cash and cash flow. So I, I asked him to come on the show today and talk to us about how he does what he does. And I pre-recorded this interview and I've already listened to it three times. And that's a rarity. I rarely listen to my episodes ever. Once I record them, they are done and they are in the archives and I never go back. But this one I've listened to three times and I'm probably going to listen to it again. And you're going to want to have a pen and paper ready for this episode. Huge nuggets of gold in our conversation that can transform your entire business. But before we get to our guest, I mentioned it last week and it's officially early bird registration time for the next Epic Intensive. So if this is the First, you've heard we are not waiting a year in between intensives anymore. The response and demand for them has become too great for us to ignore. So there is a new Epic Intensive on the calendar. It's January 26th and 27th in Manhattan Beach, California. The theme for the last intensive was strategies for a shifting market, of which was a huge hit. But, uh, you know, what caught me a little bit off guard was the tremendous amount of conversation that was created around um, creative ways of creating passive income and escaping the rat race. I thought it was going to be a lot about, you know, finding deals and, and wholesaling and making these chunks of cash because that's just kind of what people still want to do. It's, as much as you talk about cash flow, that's really what people are motivated by. And I thought that's what it was going to be. 
And although we'll be discussing more shifts in the market and how to find deals and, and you know what there is to do about the, the shifting market, but the primary topic of discussion and overall theme of this intensive is going to be around creating a monthly stream of income that pays your expenses and builds your wealth in as little as 12 months, even if you're prone to procrastination, overwhelm, and susceptible to distractions. Early bird registration is officially open at epicintensive.com. The Epic Accounting Department was a little annoyed at the last intensive in September. And the reason why is I, I left the, the early bird door open a little too long. And that event ran in the red a bit, actually. So we've got a very short time for this early bird pricing that the early bird pricing this time is going to be available. And the price will keep inching up the closer we get to capacity. So the earlier you grab your seat, the cheaper it is going to be. So go to epicintensive.com and grab your seat. Now let's get to our special guest to discuss his creative way of generating large chunks of cash and large streams, long streams of cash flow. Please help me welcome Mr. Mitch Steven to the show. Mitch, welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing. What's going on? So it's Mitch Steven, not Stevens. Yep, no V in the middle, no S on the end causes me a lot of grief. I have two first names, Mitch Steven. There you go. Got it. I was just introducing you. I said, oops, there's no S there. Hey, it's a lifelong hazard. Don't even I don't even flinch anymore. Got it, got it. Yeah, no one uh, pronounces my name correctly either. I just say, hey, the, the, you just get the T and everything else is silent and you get closer than if you try to sound it out. <clears throat> but uh, I was wondering that. Tyrolt. Yeah, yeah. That's It's Terrio. Terrio. Yeah. Duh. The, <laughs> <laughs> those French people putting all those unnecessary letters in there. Um, super. So, Mitch, um, it's a great it's great to have you. I haven't talked to you in a really long time. Um, we've certainly uh, made made some rounds together and had some good times, but we've really never talked real estate. And I've noticed that you've been doing some big things, and we have a lot of mutual friends. So I wanted to connect with you, and I just I can I can recognize your passion for real estate investing. Where does that passion come from? I guess you can go back as far as you want to go and bring us to current. Well, I mean, it it started out a long time as just wanting to call myself the owner of something, you know, and I bought a couple of condos and, uh, you know, it was nice to say that was mine and, you know, these are my house rules and, and you know, stake out your territory and mark your corners and all that. But then one day I sold those, I, I bought one to live in and I bought another one to rent a little bit later. And then I sold them both one time and, and I made more money than I did at my job by a long shot. I made more money that I made for the whole year at my job. Mm -hmm. And then that's when uh, the light bulb kind of went off. I thought maybe I better look into this a little bit because I didn't spend near as much effort on these two little places as I do at my job every every week, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. So. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, well, that's <laughs> a couple houses versus a, a year's worth of um, working for someone else, I think is a good place to start, right? Good place to start, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And after that, after that, I, I, the passion came because uh, not only was I helping myself, but I was helping so many different people and so many – there was so many good things going on. But I bought a crack house in downtown San Antonio and converted it and made it into a real house and got real people living there that were really happy. And, you know, there was so much good stuff going on. Um, you know, the back taxes were getting paid. The municipalities were getting their money. The the neighbors were getting owners instead of renters. The, the renter got to become an owner. Uh, the list just goes on and on. I wrote about, I wrote about seven pages on it one day at, at my blog. Uh huh. I, All uh, the different things. In, in your blog, real quick, since we were talking about that, where, where is your blog? Uh, it's at 1000houses.com. 
Uh, you just find the blog there, or you can go straight to it at 1000houses.com forward slash Mitch Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. And uh, that's that's 1000houses.com. Perfect. So it's not spelled out thousand. It's the number. Numerically, the 1000houses. Awesome. So um, speaking of, of 1000 houses, you've got a series of books called My Life in 1000 Houses. You've, I didn't. I knew about the first version. I didn't know you'd had three now. But the first one was um, Failing Forward to Financial Freedom. The other one yes, is 200 yes. Plus Ways to Find Bargain Properties. And this yes. new one, which is what I think uh, really inspired me to have you on the show because I really resonate with this one, is The Art of Owner Financing. And, uh, you know, I was sharing you with, with you just before we started recording. This time last year, I had about 200 units and I started liquidating or, or not liquidating, but transitioning those uh properties, especially the problems properties, into seller financed notes. And I've purchased notes, or excuse me, I've purchased properties using seller financing for since the conception of my real estate, now almost a decade. But not, I didn't start selling them a lot until just about a year ago. And then, uh, so that was working really well. And I stumbled upon your podcast, so congratulations for that. It's a big hit, it's a great show. Um, and, thank you, thank and, you. And I started just getting some different nuances and I applied a couple of the things that you were talking about uh, on your show. And I really like the structure that I've got going on now. And in the last few deals, are I can see that are even better, more profitable. And you take those really great returns and you turn them into infinite ones. So um, the, the, about this, owner, kind of explain to me and, our, and everyone that's listening, what is owner financing and how are you using it to gain financial freedom? Okay, well, well, like you said, when you first start out, most people don't have money. So they're trying to get the, the person they're trying to buy the house from, they're trying to get that person to sell or finance the house to them. So they don't have to go to the bank or find the money. They can just buy the house with the seller financing. But I took it a step further, and then I would sell my house and offer seller financing to the guy who wanted to buy the house from me and move into it and live in it. You know, 90% of the time, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's a real simple concept. I have a house and I have a payment to my private lender, and then I sell the house on a wraparound mortgage, which is, you know, all legal and done correctly. And um, the person who moves into my house gives me a down payment, plus X, it gives me a monthly payment for X amount of years, mm -hmm. and and uh, I, I collect the money from them, and then I I pay out what I owe to my private lender, and I keep the spread. Right. And it, and it differs very much from being a landlord in that I am not responsible for all those liabilities of the house because it is not my air conditioner, hot water heater, roof, glass, window, sprinkler system, garage door, yada, 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 yada. It's not mine. I sold the house to the person who's living in it and sending me a payment. And so when I get the payment, it is my money. Mm -hmm. It's not the air conditioner man's money. It's not the plumber's money. It's my money. Right. And that's what I, I like to do is create cash flow without the liabilities of being a landlord. Got it. No, I, I, I love it a lot. I'm going to play devil's advocate in a minute on a few things. Um, sure. I'm going to get your opinion on it. But um, let's kind of maybe walk through like uh, I know on, I think it's on the very first episode of your podcast. Um, you walked through your typical deal. Uh, okay. Can, can, we, can I, we do that? Yeah, I got a case study here in my head. Sure. Um, let's say I – first of all, the core belief of the owner finance strategy – the core belief, and you have to believe this from the from the tip of your head to the bottom of your toes, is that the person paying a thousand dollars a month rent would rather pay a thousand dollars to own. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you believe that? Yeah, I think in most cases that would be the case. 
<laughs> well, you know, it's not across the board. No, there's it's always not. about 50, there's <laughs> about fifteen percent of the people that don't deserve a house, don't want a house, and, and the other ones don't don't need it right now for certain reasons. You know, they're going right. to be transferred or whatever. I come but across a lot 80, of people that just flat out don't care. Yeah, they don't yeah. care. Yeah, exactly. And, which which in my book translates to you don't deserve a house if you don't really want one. Perfect. And so, um, so it's, I say it's about eighty three, eighty five percent of the people wish they could own a house. They just don't know how, especially for the same amount of rent as rent. So that's the core belief. So let's say, so when you start out, you have to um, you have to know what you can sell something for before you can make an offer to buy it. And but we don't base our value on the house based on the comps. We base our we 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 establish an owner finance value, an OFV, an owner finance value, by backing into the rents because I'm going to try to accomplish this goal of changing this guy's thousand dollar rental payment into a thousand dollar mortgage payment. So let's say that the rent is a thousand dollars for in this particular neighborhood for this particular kind of house. And so we go to the tax records and we subtract $100 because the prop the monthly property taxes is $100. And then we figure the insurance is 50 bucks for easy number. Mm -hmm. So you take the 1000 and you minus 100 and you minus 50. So that's uh, you come up with 850. And so if you use the terms 10 and a half percent in 20 years, then that 850 that this guy has left over for principal and interest payment mm -hmm. translates into 85,000. That's how much he can finance, okay? Mm -hmm. If you use the terms ten and a half percent in twenty years, so if he can finance, if he can afford to finance eighty-five thousand, then let's just add twelve percent on top as a down payment, mm -hmm. and and see what the see what the sales price would be. So in this case, it'd be about another ten thousand dollars on top. So the owner finance value of this particular property, given the taxes and the insurance, is ninety-five thousand. Now that I know that I can sell this house for that the rents tell me that I can sell this house for ninety five thousand, what do I want to offer to buy this house? I would love to be ninety five thousand. I'm going to try to get at least ten thousand down, so they're going to owe me eighty five thousand mm -hmm. uh, dollars. I would love to be in this house for half of that eighty five. So I'd love to be in this house around forty two, forty you know forty two five something somewhere around forty two. Right. Because um, that would be a home run. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying I couldn't pay 45, 46, 47 for it. It's still a good deal. Mm -hmm. You can pay 48, 49, still a good deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. But but I can divide by two really good, man. Right. So, <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> I so, um, so I, I know that my bar is 42.5 right now. Mm -hmm. And so um, I. Uh, I go out and if I and if I get for less than that, then it's a grand slam. And if I get it for less than that, then it's a grand slam with bases loaded, you know, but, but there's my bar. Sure. Okay. So let's just say I, I get this, uh, this place under contract for, um, uh, 40 for 40,000. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I can buy it for 40,000. I'm going to go buy, I'm going to go borrow 42,000 from my private lender. And so I, I buy everything with OPM private money and, um, um, I borrow at eight percent interest only for um, five years. Mm -hmm. And so in this particular case, my payment's two hundred and eighty dollars. Okay. Uh huh. So do you is that interest only or is that amortized over the five years? No, 
Interest only. Interest only. Okay. Forty forty-two. Okay. Now, I, did you notice I borrowed forty-two? I could, I got it on a contract for forty, but I borrowed forty-two. I'm gonna. I always make sure that, in, including closing costs or whatever. I think if I'm gonna mow the lawn and that's gonna cost a hundred bucks, I, I'm all in. I want to borrow a hundred percent. Okay. Right. Plus, plus two thousand dollars, because I need to put that two thousand dollars in my left hand pocket. Mm-hmm. Because and if anyone, if any private lender ever says, well, why do you get to put an extra two thousand dollars in your pocket? You just say. Because um, finding houses isn't free. I don't know exactly how much it costs me to find this house, but on average, it's about two thousand dollars a house. And if you're out there buying houses and not giving and not writing this expense into your equation, it's you don't you you start to understand why you're broke all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you buy two or three houses this month, you're six thousand dollars. You're out six thousand bucks, and you don't know why. Right. You know. Okay. So, so let's just say it's two eighty is what I owe, and I'm collecting. I'm going to collect. Uh, and then I sell this house to someone, and they give me ten thousand down, and they owe me eighty-five thousand at ten and a half percent for twenty years, and that's they owe me eight fifty a month. So, um, eight fifty a month, you know, I'm, I'm clearing uh, five seventy. Is that right? Uh, eight fifty. I'm doing it real quick here. Eight fifty minus uh, six seventy. Yeah, no, six seventy. No, no, you're right. Five seventy. You're right. Five seventy. Okay. Yeah. Five seventy. I'm clearing five seventy a month. Which is my money. If the air conditioner breaks, I don't have to give it back. So do you see where in this equation I picked up two K when I bought, I picked up ten K in the down payment. So I made twelve thousand dollars. I paid myself twelve thousand dollars to create a, a five hundred and seventy dollar a month positive income, uh, positive cash flow, with no liabilities to speak of that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's going to go on for 240 months. If you want to take 240 months and multiply it by 570, that equals 100 and right at $137,000 plus another 12,000. That's $149,000. So with no money out of my pocket, I got to make 12 grand up front so I could eat and feed my family and pay my car payment. Mm-hmm. And I created, I, I added $570 to my positive cash flow, which over its lifetime will be $137,000. And I did this with no money. I actually not only did I do it with no money, I got paid to, to make this happen. I got paid mm-hmm. 12 grand. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, it's not to say that sometimes you get lucky someone will give you 30000 down. I got a $30,000 down payment today. When was the last time as a landlord you got a $12,000 or a $30,000 non-refundable rent deposit? Oh, with every single property. <laughs> no, 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 never. It doesn't happen. No. It'll never happen. And you got to give right. it back. <laughs> and then you got to give it or argue about giving it back. Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. So, so that's the magic of the business. Now, there's two downsides to it. As as the owner financier, we don't get appreciation. Right. And we don't get depreciation, a tax a tax treatment. Okay? Right. So, but you let's, also, let's you also this. lose the advantage of leverage as well. Why is that? Where did I lose the leverage? Well, I guess I you, you are you are in for zero, so you are about as leveraged as you can get. So it's an infinite return. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. So I, I have leverage because I'm borrowing money. Yeah. So am, that, I right that, with you? am I right with you? Yeah. Yeah. That would that would tie into the appreciation. Though. So yes. Never mind. I just said the same thing you said twice. So we're good. Okay. That's right. So, but look. But then now let's address this thing about appreciation. The, the first thing people say to you is, well, you know, you're giving away all the upside of this house because you're not going to get the value of its appreciation over the years. I say, look, I bought this house for 40, okay, mm-hmm. and I sold it for 95 in less than 30 days. I mean, exactly how much appreciation do you guys want fast? Right. right. I mean, you want to annualize that because this is just that's just 30 days I'm talking about. Right. So if you were to if you annualize that, 
you're in the thousands of percent totally. appreciation. Totally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, 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 and this is what I choose to do for right or for wrong. And I'm not bashing people that do rent houses because there's been a lot of fortunes made in rent houses, but I'll talk to you about maybe how that happens and how it doesn't happen. But, but I just choose to take all that time that landlords spend being a property manager and I just go find another house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I narrow all those tasks that you have to be as a property manager and all those things you have to handle. I just throw all that in the trash and say, I'm just going to focus on buying houses. I'm just going to buy another house mm-hmm. with all that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, uh, I think that the people that are being successful at landlords, the best I can figure, because see, this is a big myth. You walk in and they say, you know, we're doing the buy and hold theory. You're going to buy and you're going to have all these rent houses and, you know, you're going to borrow this money and your payment's going to be 500 and then you're going to rent it out, and the and the rental is going to be eight fifty. And so you've got this three hundred and fifty dollar positive cash flow. That's close to four thousand dollars a year positive cash flow, right? Wrong. They haven't given one ounce of weight to all the multitude of liabilities on the other side of the page. Sure. We could sit here and start writing for another half hour and never finish all the things you're responsible for as a landlord. That if they break, you got someone says, well, the grass can't break, and I said, no, but it can die. You know, they, mm-hmm. you know. The tree, well, the trees don't break. Oh, yes, they do. And they fall on top of the roof of the house. And they get you know, into your pipes. <laughs> yeah, and then and the roots crawl into your pipes. Exactly. So um, now the only thing that I'm for sure that we lose is depreciation. But you're, we still have a business. Mm-hmm. And if you're any kind of businessman at all, or you want to listen to some podcasts by me or Matt or somebody who knows what they're doing, there's plenty of write-offs to be had, right? There's a ways. There's other ways yes. besides depreciation. Yes. And yes. there's things to do. So – that's my that's my shtick right there. That's the whole thing. Okay. Um, so next one, uh, uh, taxes. This income is taxed at a different rate as your income, your cash flowing income from a property. Well, there's another. You you could you could um, buy these houses, rent them for a year, and then get a long term capital gains treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm getting hit, you know, probably with a little harder tax because I'm doing mine's short term. Right. But I, I make enough money that I, I just don't care, and I don't want to, I, I don't I don't like being a landlord so much that I'm I'd really rather pay the tax and worry about that later. Right, right. Okay, so so you another another aspect of taxes is if you buy it at forty two and you sell it at eighty, even though you're selling on an installment plan, uh, you have to. How do you get around paying the full? Oh, you're talking about all right. First of all. You never ever claim yourself as a dealer. There's there's ways around that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's like twelve different points. Just like you know, the same kind of criteria. Like if you know, how do you decide if this person's a subcontractor or an employee? They have these points that you have to measure against. Right. You got you got things to measure against this. I, I, I've been doing it for twenty years. I'm not a dealer. I'm not going to claim myself as a dealer. No one's made me be a dealer, and I'm just not going to go there till someone. Proves me different, mm-hmm. and if your CPA can't defend you, then you need to get a different CPA. All right, very good. But I pay on the installment plan, and I pay tax as it comes in. Right. No, and, and so do I. So I just I wanted to know if you had a, a different way of looking at that, but but I get it. It's just the okay. But if they did deem you as a dealer, mm-hmm. then all you do is you would sell your notes, Matt, to someone for like a thousand dollars over what's owed, and then right. Uh, and then you get right. the notes back on some kind of default or something. I mean, you know what I mean? There's, I got you. You got to be careful, but you know, but there's things to do about 
things they do. Right. Well, we got, yeah, exactly. We got people for that, that do take care of that for us. So that's not our profession. Um, next is, uh, the next side of that thing is would be, um, inflation. You know, this is why I'm holding a balance. My biggest reason holding a balance of notes and properties is the hedge against inflation. And uh, it's a very good point. Mm -hmm. And there is, there is a reason to do that. But so, you know, in Jack Bosch's book, um, forever cash, you had, um, you know, one time cash, temporary cash and, 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 uh, Amber alert, excuse me. Yeah. Um, one time cash, temporary cash and forever cash. And so this is the owner finance strategy is, um, temporary cash because we're creating notes, but the notes have an expiration date, right? Right. And, but I took the wealth that I made from manipulating the houses and the owner finance strategy and I bought storages with it. And that's where I'm going to hedge my inflationary bet. I bought boat storages and mini storages. I have like 1,100 doors. I average $92 a door per month. Mm -hmm. You can do the math. And um, I really don't like being landlords in a place where I have to deal with families and the displacement of a family if I have to foreclose. So mm -hmm. I pick storages or you know industrial buildings or strip centers or anything but but houses or apartments. Got it. No, that's perfect answer. It's a very good strategy. Um, the next thing would be, I don't know if you're a conspiracy theorist at all, but should the dollar collapse? Um, do you have any fear of that? Uh, I do. I'm a big doomsdayer. Um, I kind of don't thought... like to admit it, but, uh, mm -hmm. but um, you know, I own things today that I never thought I would own. Um, and this is my theory. The day that little bitty Walmart houses made for Walmart people are worth nothing, then your money was going to be worth nothing a long time ago, and the last thing to go will be housing. It, the day that housing is worth nothing, then you better just hope you had it in bullets. That's all I have mm -hmm. to say. <laughs> right. But if, if the dollar is worth nothing and all your money and income is based on notes, your notes become nothing. Well, I'll trade for cabbage. I'll trade for bullets. I'll trade for guns. I'll trade for whiskey. Mm -hmm. You know, you live there. I'll trade for something, but right. I don't have to trade for that stupid dollar. If it's not worth anything, I'm not going to trade for that anymore. Sure, but but that's that you lose that income. And so what would you be trading? Just the stuff that you're investing in afterwards? You know, it's a great question. I've run it out. I mean, what, what what's your take on it? I don't know what else to do I, except I, for say, I'm going to trade it. I, I'm going to trade it for something. Right. I mean, if the money, if the, if the dollar collapses and the money is not worth anything, then... You know, here's one thing: you get to pay your debts with that with that useless dollar. The only problem is, is if you're owed a lot of money, that's where you you really need to be. You really need to owe a lot of money when inflation happens because you're paying with that that exactly. reduced dollar. Mm -hmm. But if you're owner financing houses, then you you're getting the bad side of that stick too. I don't really know what else to say about it, but I just figured right. Well, I mean, I'll you, deal with it when it happens. You've got the storages. You've got the boat storages and other storages. I have the houses. So, like, the houses aren't going to be worth zero. Your The land you your storages are on aren't going to be worth zero. So right. th there's something there. That, and that's why I maintain a balance. Primarily. My wife said, well, my wife took it even further. That's just what happens when nobody, you know, wants to pay for their storage stuff. I says, when it gets that bad, honey, people will be living in those storage units. <laughs> exactly. I will charge them to live. <laughs> right. Right, and she said again, "Well, the money's not going to be worth anything. What are they? What are they going to pay you with?" I said, "You know, pay me in goats, cabbage, carrots, mm -hmm. beans, whatever, something." <laughs> Actually, and a lot of people say, you know, to buy gold, but I think, I think that's maybe an issue because when when if you 
if it really gets rough and you start going out there to pay people in gold, I mean, they're just going to follow you home and hold a gun to your kid's head and say, where's the rest of the gold, right? Right, right. I personally like to buy shipping containers of vodka, bourbon, rum, and gin. Mm-hmm. It never goes bad. doesn't freeze. It'll always uh, be in demand. <laughs> and it'll always be in demand. So I want to buy big containers of booze. <laughs> I'm making a note of that right now. <laughs> it is a good idea, though, isn't it? No, I think so. I mean, shoot. I, I mean, mean, it doesn't rot. It doesn't spoil. It, yeah, and when it was against the law, people did whatever they possibly could do to get it. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. All right, um, and, and that's another reason I hold The other reason that I continue to hold some houses is I have so much depreciation. I basically have a big, giant gap of where I can make free money. So the notes make a whole lot more sense to me there, too. Yeah, I have depreciation in my storages. You know, yeah. they're they're five hundred million dollar facilities. You know, every time I put something up, it's four hundred fifty thousand dollars, right. and I get to depreciate that. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. You gotta have a, You gotta have. It takes a lot to make a business run. You gotta have your your depreciation. You, I mean, you have to have your tax strategy. You have to have your incomes. You have to have your. You have to. You know, people think this business is is. You know, they try to make it look all easy on the on the guru shows, the late night TV. It's there's a lot to learn about it, but the one thing about it is. You certainly grow as a person because you're learning so much about everything. You, you know, by the time you are really good at any little strategy in the in the creative real estate business, you're a pretty consummate businessman at that point because you had to deal with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. So you own real estate, just not houses. So that's that's the uh, part I was looking for. So that yeah, well, as as the doomsdayer model, I mean, I went and bought a ranch. Mm-hmm. I bought my ranch out in the country with the horses. I mean, I'm sorry, with the deer and the fish and the quail and the dove and the hogs and the whole thing. So, right. I mean, so there's I'm water. ready, man. There's yeah, water. There's on water. The and I drilled extra wells. <laughs> I, love I mean, it. you know, I spent some money on it. Perfect. My Perfect. rationale was my rationale was um, that if the doomsday never comes, it's still going to be worth money. Yeah, and it's still. And a lot I get of- the- and I get to walk on it and enjoy it because, see, I did have that money in the bank, and that was no fun at all. I could look at it every month on a statement. It was no fun. Now I got it, and I can walk on it, drive on it, ride ATVs, hunt on it, camp on it, bring people out to it, fish in it. You know, it's a lot better place to hold your money. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Sweet. Okay, so you do 100 of these a year. I know you had a really good year this year. Um, so where, if you're borrowing the money each time— for these, I got to borrow a hundred times that forty-two thousand dollars we just talked about. Where are you? What is your source of money? Where are you getting that? How do you make that happen? Uh, my average private lender is probably between sixty and eighty years old. Mm-hmm. He's um, he's done. He's not working anymore. Um, he used to be worth twice as much as he is now, but he lost half of it in the stock market. And he's never going back. Mm-hmm. His take on it is that the stock market's rigged. And he's not a member of the club big enough for anyone to tell him when the, the crap's coming down the pipe. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they're using him to get rich. That's his take on it. So he has his money sitting over there in CDs that are not even making 1%. And then he stumbles onto me mm-hmm. or I stumble onto him. And here I am offering 8% and I'm offering a first lien, a pristine first lien from a title company on a real piece of properties, some Texas real estate, a house that's worth uh, the owner finance value uh Usually about twice as much. I average 52% LTV, 52% LTV um, between the owner finance value 
and what I borrow. And, but I do want to clarify something. My owner finance value is based on a price that I that I got I arrived at by backing into the rent. It is not the MAA appraiser. It is mm -hmm. not the BPO's broker professional opinion. It's not a CMA. It's not based on comps. It's based on rents. So I may be 10 or 15 percent over the market, or I may be at the market. But it doesn't matter because that renter doesn't have the choice to borrow the money where everyone else did. Right. So so here we go. We got we got someone loaning me. Uh, $52,000 on a $100,000 house. What's the worst thing could happen? The worst thing could happen is I pay him on time because yeah. that's the least amount of money he's going to make. Because if I don't pay him, he gets my $100,000 house. Yeah. Yeah. So, so look at it like this too. If everyone in Bernie Madoff's pyramid schemes, scandals, scam would have had a house pledged for every $50,000 they had invested, none of them would be broke right now. Mm -hmm. But they all zeroed out because they were buying. Uh, uh, you know, like in REITs, you buy a certificate or a piece of a company. You don't own any of that asset, mm -hmm. you know. So it's a lot. And so it's one deal, one house, one lender, one borrower. And, and if you, they don't get paid, they get the house. I like to say in my program, you either get or you get. You either get paid like I told you or you get a house. Right. Right. No. Yeah. The, the worst thing that can happen for someone like that is that you actually do what you said you're going to do. Yeah, because then they're just going to make 8%. Right. If I don't pay them, they're going to get a $100,000 house for 52000 That's a lot of money. Exactly. Exactly. That's one. Of, that's the middle strategy in our in our fund. Just like uh, the worst thing that happened is everyone makes their payments on time. And yeah. It's, and it's a big clue as to why banks lend money and don't buy real estate. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you know, I got so good at raising private money that I – um that I had to start a hard money loan business to loan it out to my competitors in my market because I couldn't buy an, I couldn't buy enough houses. Mm -hmm. And what I found out was is if I didn't take those people's money and get it out for them, they would go lose it. Mm -hmm. You know, either stock market or they'll loan it to Uncle Bob for a snow cone factory in Alaska and can't figure out why they, their money's not coming back. <laughs> and and so I have on any given day now about $8 million to $10 million out on the streets in my town where I have loaned, and that too I averaged 52% LTV. I averaged loaning those investors $52,000 on a $100,000 house. And unlike a bank, I know what to do with this house if I get it back. Right, right. Am I stalking the house? No, I'm not stalking the house. I don't want people to fail and I don't want to take their houses. But if I have to, I'm going to be fine. So you mentioned uh, when a private lender stumbles upon you or you stumble upon them. Well, give me your three favorite ways for stumbling. Okay. Well, when I was first trying to raise private money, I, I, I made it a goal, and it's probably not the most aggressive goal, but to me it was – I thought it was at the time. It's not aggressive now looking back. But I, I was going to tell someone my, my elevator pitch, one person a day, mm -hmm. seven days a week. You usually end up that I tell two people on Friday and a on Thursday and skip the weekend. But so my elevator pitch pitch is, uh, hi, my name is Mitch Steven. I help average people achieve above average rates of return on their idle money. And I give them very, very valuable Texas real estate as collateral. You either get or you get. You either get paid or you get a house. Are you interested? I like it. So um, that becomes a, a, a muscle that you need to exercise. 
Um, there's two things that I became good at. I became good at getting people to ask me what I do so I could go ahead then and tell them my elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. How do you get people to ask you what you do? The simplest way is to just ask them what they, they do. do. Right. Any common guy, any common, any normal guy in the world or girl would, after they finish saying, you know, well, I, you know, I sell fertilizer for, for a living. They turn around and go, well, what do you do? You know? And so that's when you can throw your elevator pitch. Now, there was days that I was on my way home, and it dawns on me that I hadn't got my elevator pitch in for the day, and I hadn't met my goal. Mm -hmm. At which time I would just pull over to the first bus stop I saw, jump out of my car, walk over to the slumped-over, drunk, bearded guy, uh, and say, Hi, my name is Mitch Steven. I help average people achieve above-average rates of return on their idle money, and I give them very valuable Texas real estate as collateral. And then I'd leave. And that people say, well, what's the point of that? I mean, the, the, the drunk guy at the bus stop was never going to invest with you. It's, it's, the point was is that I, I met my goal, I exercised that muscle, and, and I became more bold and more bold and more bold and less afraid to talk to people in silk ties and in alligator shoes, you know? Right. Uh, the, the more I said it, the easier it flowed. I'm out of practice right now because I haven't said it in a long time. And then, you know, the more uh, higher pollutant people I – was less intimidated to talk to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing is, is once you ask that person what they do, before you get to your elevator pitch, you would say, you know, I don't know if that, if I need that right now, but I, I, I think I know someone I think needs your service. I need your card. That way, the ball was in my court. I had the, I had the option to, to contact them. If I gave them my card at the end of my elevator pitch, they're never going to call me because they're not as interested in talking about it as I am. Right. So I would always try to get their card. So it was, it was ask them what they do, tell them you know someone that might be interested in what they're doing, can I have a card, get the card, then give them, and by that time, they, then they ask you what you do, then you tell them, and then um, try to set an appointment. Right. Either that there or a few hours later or the next day you call them because you have their card. Right. It's a snowball effect because an amazing thing happens when you borrow money, give people the right paperwork, and then pay them back. They start to refer you or they start to bring you more. And it's gotten to the point right now is I can't hardly stop the, the river of money coming my way. I'm so glad you're saying that, Mitch, because I've been saying that from the beginning of this podcast that you just need one and do what you said you were going to do when you said you're going to do it, and you'll eventually have two right away. And it just it snowballs. You're absolutely correct. And well, and everybody starts off with just their little finger. I mean, no one's no one started off with me with a million dollars. I mean, every one of them said, "Well, what's the least amount I can try one try, try I can invest?" And you know, I'd say thirty, forty, fifty thousand. They say, "Okay," and that's what I'd get. But it was almost uncanny. It was it was almost three months to the day that you on the when, by the time they received their third payment, you'd get a phone call right after the third payment arrived. Hey, what can you do with a little more? Right. And then it'd be another three months. It was, what can you do with a little more? And then it was usually bigger, like, okay, what can you do with 250? What can you do with 300? You know? Mm -hmm. And then when you say, then finally you're sitting on deals and they say, well, I, I, I'm tapped, I'm out. Then you say, do you know anybody else we can help? And quit begging for money because we're doing a great service for people. We're helping them get an 8% return, which by golly is a good rate of return given the security that they have. You know, mm -hmm. it's a tremendous rate of return given the security they have. Yep. Again, glad you said that because until it happens to you, nobody believes it, you know, and, and that's exactly how it happens almost every single time. We just had our, completed our first quarter of our fund and we did very well in the first quarter and we sent out the summary and immediately everyone was, uh, well, I got a little more. Can you use that? 
It's just like yeah. we didn't even ask for it. We we stopped prospecting for for uh, shareholders, and it just started started coming after that first summary. And now we got a couple buddies, and we got a sister, and here we go. So yes, well, yeah, I, absolutely. I right. had a meetup. I had a meetup was was scheduled the same day of every month, like the you know the the first Tuesday of every month or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had a meetup, and I was and 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 so what I would do is I would I would go to the sub- subway and get the the subway sandwiches, and I chop them up. I'm mean, have them chop them up into you know finger foods, and I'd get the chips and the cokes and in the ice chest, and I'd set up a room. And I figured if I'm going to set up a room for a lunch, I might as well keep the room for the evening in case they can't make it because I've already got the room set up. Why, mm-hmm. you know? So I'd have two meetings that day. I'd have a lunch meeting and I'd have a um, an evening meeting, and so I my whole month was spent like how many people can I get to come to that room? And I tell everyone, can you come uh, to my to my investment meeting you know on the first tuesday of the month over and over again well the most people i ever had in the room was 10. usually i only had two or three people in the room mm-hmm. um it, I, sometimes i have two people at lunch and i have three people in the evening like five people for the whole day mm-hmm. but it didn't matter because i i had made a commitment that i was going to have that meeting once a month for 12 months in a row come hell or high water no matter if no one showed up i was still going to go the next month and do it again mm-hmm. and i had to stop in six months because like I had, I had, I had more than enough money. Right. So what was your meeting? What did it consist of? I would take um, case studies. This is a picture of the house. Very simple. Don't make not a PowerPoint. Nothing complicated because you don't want to make it complicated. Right. It's, it's really easy. This is the house, just like that case study. I, I was able to get it for forty. I borrowed forty-two. This was my payment. You know. Then I sold it for this. Do you see where I made a lot of money? People go, well, why are you telling them how much money you made? I says, because that's how they know you're going to pay them back. They can see that you've got a money-making machine here. <laughs> you know that it's you know it's great. And then he says, well, won't people just want to go do it themselves? I said, sure. They all joke about. It. I mean, the last guy was a doctor. He says, "Well, why don't I just do what you do and make the whole the whole hundred and thirty six thousand dollars?" I said, "Great, doctor, just take that shingle, throw it in the trash can, let's go to town." Right. He didn't take that shingle off the wall. <laughs> That's not who he is. He's a doctor. Exactly. I love those people. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're making so much money by doing it, why are you showing everybody else how to do it? So, I like the answer. So they'll know I'll pay him back. <laughs> yeah, so they'll know that I have the money to pay them back, that that's this a, is a good, sound business practice. Right, that's a good one. Okay, cool. So um, let's see. To, another thing to point out here, and I kind of, I mean, I know what I would do, and so I'm not concerned about this, but I think some people might be listening, might be thinking about this. You borrow your private money for five years, but you sell on 20 years. What do you do at the end of the five years on the money that you borrowed? What is your primary exit strategy? Okay, well, let's... I wrote I wrote three pages on this on my blog. It's it, it's it's 1000houses.com and, and it says um, why I borrow at the terms I do. But let's start from the very beginning. Okay. First of all, the reason why I'm borrowing interest only is most of these people are old. I pay seven widows now. You know, the man died. The woman never knew what the business was about and still doesn't. And now she's 83 years old and it's even worse. Mm-hmm. So they. Elderly people are really fearful that they're going to spend their principal. And if I send them an amortization check, you know, a, a, a check over an amortization schedule, then they're going to have to figure out how much of this check is principal and how much is interest and how much can I spend. So just to make it easy for them, I do interest only. And I say, if you get a small check, you can spend all of it. You get that really big check, that's me giving you back your principal. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can spend all of these little checks I'm sending you every month and you won't be touching your principal. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason. Um, two, in the early days when I needed cash flow, 
you make more cash flow if you're not if you don't have an amortized loan. If you're just interest only, you have a smaller payment. Right. And when you're trying to create enough cash flow to quit your job, every dollar counts. You know, you're trying to get up to three thousand or four thousand or six thousand dollars a month, and you want to get there as fast as you can. Um, and so I set up all these people that way. And I, I never went back to change them because you don't want to go change the, the, the story on people after right. they got set up. I, so when I was young, I set it up for one reason. Even though I didn't need the lower payment anymore, I wasn't going to go back and try to change it. Number two, let's just look at the worst case scenario. If you bought a house for 40 and you know ended up with a note for 80 and you and you made $12,000 to do that, you know, to you know, upfront, and mm-hmm. then you collected $570 a month for, for 60 months. And then you had to give the house back. Is that a bad deal? It ain't a bad deal. Right. You had no money out of your pocket. You made 12,000 upfront. You collected $570 for 60 months and then you, then it was over. Mm-hmm. So that's, as, so, but do you think 80 year old people want the house back? Right. You think the doctor wants the house back? I mean, if you ever made it to five years, you don't think they would renew another year or another two years. No. The, the reason why I, I would love to get all 15-year amortizations or 20-year amortizations, mm-hmm. but old people don't see themselves living that long, and their first argument, and their all, argument always is, I'm not going to live to see it, so I don't want that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it's all the same. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it's all this. In their mind, they're getting a note that's going to outlive them, and why would they do that? So I had to make something that was short enough that they thought, well, I'm going to live that long. Mm-hmm. You know, Okay. So then if you had a note for three years that was paying you on time, you think you could sell that note? I mean, what would the house be worth in three years from that day? Mm-hmm. And in a season note, you think you could sell that note to someone if it had a 10 or 10, 10.5% face value? Yes. You know, so you could sell the note. But what about this? Uh, Matt, you'll appreciate this. So I have 20 of these notes. Uh, I spent, I borrowed a million dollars. Actually, I'm going to tell you it was a million, 25,000, but let's call it a million for easy math, okay? Mm-hmm. I, and I had 20 houses that I had sold on notes. So I had these 20 notes out there. 20 people owe me a payment every month. They're living in, in the house I sold them. Mm-hmm. I went to the bank and said, look, I want to refinance this million dollars worth of underlying debt that I have. My million dollar debt's at 8%, and it's interest only. And I need it to start amortizing at some point. I'd, I'd like to have a 15-year fully amortized loan. Would you give me a, a million dollars to replace the million dollars I have at 8%? Mm-hmm. They said yes, but of course they want to put me through the ringer. So they said, well, what, how, much do the, these million, how much do these houses owe you? I said, well, I'm owed $1.8 million. You know? Mm-hmm. They said, well, how much is a house worth? I said, I don't know. You have to go get them appraised. I mean, they told me they had to go get them appraised. Right. I mean, I told them what they were worth. They didn't believe me. They went out and they appraised for more than I told them. Um, they appraised for $2.2 million. So here I am wanting a million dollars. I'm owed 1.8, and the collateral is worth 2.2. They gave me a 15-year, non, uh, you know, a fully amortizing loan. You can't call the note. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, at four and a half percent. And it had adjustment every five years. So there was two adjustments. There was adjustment at year um, uh, five, and there was an adjustment at year 10. Mm-hmm. And it was prime plus one. And I, I, was a, I was just old enough to remember the Carter years when interest rates went to 18% and everybody went broke, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, and there has to be a ceiling because I'm not going to go open-ended. And right. certainly not the way the world felt 
before the last election, okay? Right. Before the last election, I was horrified. So they gave me a 9% cap, and then another smart guy came by and said, yeah, and you got to tell them no covenants. No covenants, meaning there's no ratios as to what the rents are compared to the whatever. You either make your payments or you don't make your payments, and if you make your payments, they can't foreclose, and if you don't make your payments, they can foreclose. That's the only way they can foreclose on you is if you don't make the damn payment. Mm -hmm. Okay? No covenants. No little fine print that says if your collateral is not worth so much, then we can call the note. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of loan I got. And then I went and paid off my million dollars worth of people. And so the, this million dollars is usable over and over and over again now. And by the way, when I refinance my 8% private money debt down to 4.5%, 15-year fully amortizing, I increase my cash flow 60000 a year. And it's amortized. <laughs> and it's amortized. Right. And I don't have to worry anymore. Right. And so I quit making, and I also quit making 20 year notes for this reason. I make 30 year notes now. My payment that's coming in is a little bit lower, mm-hmm. but in, in 10 years, they haven't reduced their debt at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Hardly. And I'm sitting there not reducing my debt because I'm interest only for the first five years. So it makes perfect sense to set up my payer to where in the first five years that he's paying, he hadn't reduced his debt either. Mm-hmm. Hardly. Fractional. Hardly. Yep. Okay. And then. Um, there's also another way to sell notes without giving a discount. And this is how I sell notes. I sell notes. I mean, you could sell this $80,000 note for $65,000 and pay off the forty dollars and have the twenty five dollars left over, right? Mm-hmm. But you're still taking a discount. You took a $20,000, $15,000 or $20,000 discount in this case. But, but how you sell notes without doing a discount is you could sell the note on the first day without seasoning. It's just a matter of how much of the back end of the note do you want to hold. Three years, five years, six years, seven years. And so for every year that you hold, that you got 30 years on this $80,000 note. Well, you say, look, I want $80,000. The guy says, well, the house is only worth ninety five. I don't feel comfortable. There's not enough spread. You know, what if it goes default on the first day? I said, okay, I understand that. So I'm going to hold five years of the back end. So I'm only going to sell you 25 years, the first 25 years of that 30 years. And I'm going to keep the last five years for myself. And that reduces what you're going to pay me now by $7,000. So now instead of giving me $80,000 for the $80,000 note, you're just going to give me um, $73,000 for the $80,000 note, and the house is worth ninety five. dollars Now there's a bigger spread. Are you comfortable now, sir? Yeah. Plus, there's two reasons why I do it. Number one, I always make it mandatory. I always I always sell them at least one year of the note. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I always keep at least one year of the note. You know why, Matt? Because now I can handle this problem for us instead of handle it for him as a third party without a real estate license. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a principal of this note now. Mm-hmm. If it goes on, if it goes, if I need to resell it to someone, I'm protecting my interest, not his interest. Got it. You know, I because if if he buys the whole note and then I go try to help him reload the house, I'm practicing real estate without a license because I don't have a real estate license, and here I am trying to put someone in his house, mm-hmm. an owner finance deal. Plus, I'm gonna we're gonna flip a coin and we're gonna lose and we're gonna have to collect the payments. And whoever has to collect the payments gets thirty five dollars a month for that service, whether he does or I do. We're gonna flip the coin and I'm gonna lose every time. I get the $35 and I'm going to take care of it. You know why? Because as soon as that doctor starts having to chase these guys around for money, he's not going to loan me any more money. He's not going to buy any more of my notes. Mm-hmm. He's not going to. So you got, plus they're not any good at it. You know, I had a, one doctor finally call me and says, Hey, we got a problem with this house. He says, What's right? They're not making their payment. 
I said, okay, well, how far are they behind? He said, two years. I said, are you, you know, I like threw my hands up in the air. I said, you're kidding me. Two years. <laughs> I can't fix that. You know what I mean? And you're calling that's, me that, just now. <laughs> yeah, that's foobard, man. They got that. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't fix that. So I want to take care of it because I'll, I want to know right when things are broken. Because when I find out when things are broken within 30 days and 60 days, I can fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a really good chance I can fix it, right. and I, and maybe even come out ahead for all of us. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is fix one note for these guys, and come out ahead even by a little bit. And they're never loaning their money to anybody because the worst nightmare to them is they buy this note and it goes bad, mm-hmm. and that's their nightmare. When that happens and they come out ahead on the next sale, it's over. All their money is yours. Yep. I actually, I actually wait for that to happen. <laughs> I, I get it. There's, it's a, uh, it's really amazing what the what we can do with money and houses. Uh, I, I did a couple episodes a while back on on how to get wealthy on balloon payments, where so many people are so afraid of the balloon payment, and. You know, you just, just you just shared two or three different strategies of how to get out of these these five year interest only loans. Um, the other thing that that uh, people forget is they look at this one little deal in a box. It's like, and they're worried about how they're going to pay five thousand dollars down the road, or that they're going to pay that balloon payment. It's like, is this the last deal you're ever going to do? You know what I mean? Like, this is something you're going to keep on going, and that money's going to keep on going, and you have all of these options. And but worst case is like you just pay it. You know? Yeah, yeah. That was, I, I never, I never even wrote that in my story, in my book, because I, I didn't think of it either in, in my, my little thing. But mm-hmm. that's the truth of it is, is you know, um, you know, when you've been doing this like as long as Matt and I've been doing it, I mean, our cash flow can be thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand a month, right? Right. I mean, so if you got a payment and someone really wants to, you know, the other thing you do is you can just substitute one of your other, other lenders for this guy. Right. You know, just you know, I, every time I pay someone off. When I paid that million dollars off, those people got mad at me, Matt, because mm-hmm. they were living off that 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 interest payment. And when I when I cashed them out with the bank and gave them all their money back, they had to li- they had to bite into their principal for that month. Right, right. And they got they were mad at me, literally mad at me. Yep. I learned a lesson there. I learned to make million dollar bundles and make sure that I don't wipe any one person out. That I just take a house from this guy and a house from that guy and a couple of houses from this guy that has twenty and this guy over here that has ten. Take a couple from him. This person only has three, so I'm only going to take one from them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I spread it out so that I didn't wipe. Because the first time I did it, I wiped a couple of people out, and I didn't think about. I thought they'd be happy to see their money come back. They weren't. Mm-hmm. Which is a different dynamic from the bank. The bank wants to know when you're going to pay me. When you're going to pay me. When you're going to pay me. The private people say, "Don't pay me. Don't pay me off. Don't pay me off. Don't pay me off." Right. Well, this yeah. is the that's the big reason that the the private money snowball snowballs is because. You, you do what you said you're going to do when you said you're going to do it. You gave them back their money when you said you're going to give them back. And they're like, well, what am I supposed to do with it now? Right? Yeah. And now they're <laughs> ruined because no one else wants to give them 8%. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's uh, it's projecting like what would be your issue and what's your problem, projecting that and assuming that's what the other person has as well. And, and it's just not the case. So, so let me let me tell you this, man. Go ahead. Uh, interesting transition going on here at my office. We have now so much 8% money that – it dawns on me, when do you start asking for 6% money, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So I've come up with a way to ask for, for, for to ask for 6% money now. And so what I'm saying is, you know, when people come with me, I pay between 6 and 8%. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, what's, what's the difference between the 6 and the 8? I said, well, if I'm borrowing 60% to 65%, I'm paying 8. 
or you know, or, or 55 to 65, I'm paying eight. But if 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 I'm only borrowing below 55 percent of what the the owner finance value is, then I'm only paying six because the it's a risk reward formula. And with a little more risk, I'll give you a little more interest. With a, with a whole bunch less risk, I need to pay a little less. Right. So I'm starting to move into that now. Um, I just wrote that course, down, by the way. <laughs> of course, the people that I have at 8%, I'm never going to change. I'm not going to go back to them. Right. I did it one time from 10 to 8, but the money got so cheap for so long that I had to go to them and tell them, I can't keep your money out because people that are borrowing from the banks are kicking my ass so bad, I can't compete with them. Mm -hmm. you got to come down a couple of points if you want your money out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they did, and they understood. Um, but I'm not going to go back to them and ask them for 6. I'll just start with my new people and sure. tell them I pay between 6 and 8. And, of course, if they sign up with me, I'll have a whole bunch of 6% deals for them. Sure. Super. So we've been going a long time. I can keep on talking. Do you have to go anywhere? No, I'm good. I okay. love this conversation. I've been, I, I started talking about it 20 years ago, and I've never stopped. Yeah, no, I And I don't it. know why. I get it. And I think that your, your podcast is a good outlet for that as well. <laughs> Just like mine. <laughs> I, I love talking about it. Um, okay, so you said you, if you get someone to sign up for 6%, you get a whole bunch of deals for them at 6%. So what are your favorite ways of finding deals in today's market right now? A lot of things that used to work don't work anymore. Bandit signs don't work anymore. Mailings are suspect. Uh, but I'm still doing mailings. But it's the same stuff, Matt. It's mm -hmm. just you got to be more Johnny on the spot. You got to get. You got to find out who they are faster. Like tax delinquents. Who's who? Who's new on the tax delinquent property tax delinquent list in the last seven days? Every seven days, who's new? I got to get to them right now. They're just. They just right. hit the chart. I got to get to them and I got to get to their door or get to their phone right now. Right. Okay. Because there's competition out there, right? It's about um, getting to them quicker and it's about getting, being consistent. That's why I have VAs that, that over in the Philippines right now mm -hmm. that do it for me every day. They're doing one of these lists and I'm getting to those people. Like they just hit the list two days ago. I'm already calling them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Mark, yeah. Today's market speed and, and consistency and follow up is just. Oh my goodness, that cannot be overstated. One of the things I learned from the mastermind that we were in mm -hmm. that has worked very well for me ever since, I always send a hard copy of a contract in the physical mail. Mm -hmm. That has made a lot of difference. You know, People that have cussed me out, told me to get off their property, I still send them with the same offer that they were mad about in a, in a hard copy envelope mailed to their mailbox. And inevitably, when some of them do call me and, and end up taking my offer, I'll ask them, why did you pick me? They say, mm -hmm. you're the only guy that was serious enough to send a real offer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. I, that was a big takeaway. And you might have been at the same one. I think it was. Uh, I was. I'm sure it was the same day. I'm sure it was. And they, they're like 100, 200 grand a month in, in direct mail. And their direct mail piece is a purchase agreement in a FedEx envelope. And, oh, uh, Wow. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started doing something similar to that. We uh, we scrape um, the uh, property management websites. We go and we look at all the properties that are vacant, and we go ahead and do title search, and then we send them three options letters of intent, direct mail, and we'll send it in a fancy little envelope. To the owner. To the owner. To the owner, yeah. Directly to the yeah, owner. Very clever. Very clever. Because um, they've got a vacant house. They've got a problem. They, they're in it for the cash flow, so I'll offer them cash flow. Just absolutely, they'll be the note holder now, not the property owner. Hey, and then I consider that a jewel right there because I didn't know that. 
Yep. But can I give you a jewel? I'll give you a jewel. I think that maybe you don't know. Please. Well, you might know. Please. You're a smart guy. You probably, you probably know it. Now, no, now no, I'm probably going to embarrass myself. No, it's okay. But, Nobody, nobody's so listening. So the other day, so the other day, <laughs> um, you know, one of these famous TV um, house manipulator guys mm-hmm. is getting foreclosed on in, on houses at my at my auction at my in my town. Mm-hmm. You know, here these guys are on TV trying to tell you how to do it and buy their course, and they're getting foreclosed on. And I I looked at my partner and I said, you know, I ought to call up those poor people that are having to foreclose on those houses and ask them if they want to deal with a real investor. And at the minute I said it, we both looked at each other and we we got the address of those people that are foreclosing. They're not companies. They're not Frost Bank. They're not Wells Fargo. They're not Chase Bank. They're just individuals that are foreclosing on some investor they loaned the money to, and I'm going to go approach them and say, hey, how would you like to deal with an investor and this crap will never happen to you again? Mm -hmm. You know, I have 1,500 houses, 20 years. I've never given a house back in my career. Mm -hmm. You know, so so now now one of the things the VA does is she checks for who's foreclosing on who, and when we find a little guy foreclosing on someone, we go talk to the little guy. Ah, got it. So you are looking for anything that's not a bank doing the foreclosing. Yeah. And then, and, and then he's having a hard, and then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and say, you got a problem with this house, don't you? You're getting back a house. Do you know what to do with it? They're going to go, hell no, I don't know what to do with it. I said, let me help you out with this. I'm going to fix this house for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix this for you. But you try me on a couple of houses and quit, quit loaning money to these yahoos. Research me, look me up. Here's 200 bucks. Go hire a private dick. This is my social. Right. Go look me up. Right. You know, I like it. go do what you got to do and quit dealing with these 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 wiener heads and start dealing with a real investor. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go fix the house for them. I know I'll pick up money that way. I know I will. Right. That's a we good one. We just started it. We just started it. That's a good one. Sweet. Might have to do a module on that. <laughs> It'll be pretty short. It's really not that complicated. Yeah, I know. You know most, I mean? of, most of them are pretty darn simple. You just have to have the idea. So thank you for sharing. Uh, okay, so let's talk, let's talk, keep talking about the private money for a second. The oh, yeah. biggest problem all my students is they, they 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 don't they can't see themselves getting private money. They they don't they don't believe that people are going to want to loan them money, right? That's one of like the biggest obstacle mm-hmm. for them to break through that barrier that that someone will loan you the money. But so the the way that I get, help them to overcome that obstacle is like, and I think you'll agree, it's not about them. It's about the deal. You, totally. you I should be able I should be able to be like sitting right next to Charles Manson in a jail cell and I should be able to get the money. Mm-hmm. If I have a house that's worth a hundred grand and all I need is 50 grand on it and I'm going to give the guy a first lien, I should be able to be convicted of multiple murders and be behind jail and I should still be able to get the money. Yep. Because it's the deal that brings the money, not the person. Yep. And so, so, so let's just keep going. So here comes the warden. He's walking down the aisle and you know, I can hear his footsteps getting closer, and right when he gets right to my jail cell, I jump and say, hey, warden, I need you to stop for a minute. I, I know how you can make some big money and legal. And he'll look at me and go like, yeah, sure. And I go, well, look, I got this house that I own. It's a $100,000 house, and I need to borrow $50,000. I just need you to loan me the $50,000. I'll pay you 8% interest. And he'll go, right. I said, look, I'm going to give you a first lien on my $100,000 house. If I don't pay you, you get to take my house. And he'll like, you know, guards, get the keys, get this guy's out of here. Let me, we got some papers to sign. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. No, the mantra on this show from day one is find the deal and the money will find you. 
that is it's find really, the deal okay, first good. don't find, don't look for the so money I'm, first it's so much I'm harder that to the way choir with you no totally but there's still people there's still people out there that that, that this is their big obstacle you're absolutely I can't correct get into, i can't get into real estate because i don't have any money well if everyone couldn't if if that was the case neither you nor i or anybody else would have been in real estate that's it's so true no and and i just love I love it when it comes from perfect, uh, different perspectives. I love that you're sharing this. It's not me because that is the most common question. I imagine now that you're, you, you know, you're an educator as well, and that's the biggest one. How, where do I find the money? How do I do this without any money? It's like you don't. You do it with. You go out and find deals, and the money's no problem. Yeah, when you don't have money, you're a professional deal maker mm-hmm. because the better you are at making a deal, the better chance you have at getting the money. Yeah. And all you are, all you are at that point is two legs, two arms, and a megaphone. You have a deal, you become two legs, two arms, and a megaphone, and that means you you pick up your contract with your with your with your two arms, with two hands, and you hold it over your head, and you take your two legs and you start walking around town, and you take your megaphone, your mouth, and you start saying, "Hey, I got a fifty thousand dollar profit in this deal here. Who wants half of it? <laughs> Who wants half of fifty thousand dollars? Let me tell you what you got to do. You got to bring the damn money. Right. I got the deal. You need to bring the money, and we'll split. We both did our fair share." And so you start out for a while splitting with partners, but of course, 50% of something's way better than 100% of nothing. And then after a while, you don't need those partners anymore. Mm-hmm. You grow up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And so to, to tell people you know, that you don't need money to get involved in real estate is real easy for my lips to say, and it's real easy for everyone's ears to hear, but it's a bit of a difficult concept to own in your heart. And that's what I'm trying to get my students. You know, that's, I know when I've broken through and usually how it happens is the first time they go out and they get their first person to give them some money on a deal. And it, it, that's when, that's when the light bulb goes off and the barrier has been broken, but it has to happen once. And I got a lot of people say, well, I'm just not having any luck finding private money. I say, okay, so let's put on our honest hat here real quick. You got to be completely honest with me. So how many people have you called on in the last 30 days? Well, I, 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 you haven't called on anybody, have you? Okay, well, that's why you don't have any money because you have to call on the people. It's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. I challenge people to call on to get 50 mm-hmm. no's. Will you mm-hmm. go out, please, and get 50 people to turn you down? Mm-hmm. And I bet you can't do it. I bet you can't go out there with a good deal and get 50 people to say no to you. Amen. Amen. Yeah, the, you know, people uh, say, uh, everybody in my market is a short sale. And I was like, how, so how many phone calls does your marketing generate? How many people you've talked to? Well, I got six this week. <laughs> and I <was> just like, <laughs> six people and everybody in your market is a short sale. Really? Exactly. Wait till, wait till you answer the phone a hundred times and then tell me that everybody is a, a short sale. <laughs> right? Right. Awesome, dude. We should hang out more. This was fun. We are kindred spirits for sure. Yeah. Um, do you ever make it down this way? Um, occasionally, I've I've been to Dallas once and San Antonio a few times, and there is definitely reason to go back to San Antonio. Beautiful city, love it. Well, I've got a new ranch. I'm dying to show anybody who wants to look at it. All right, I'm in. Put it on the calendar. Super. Well, Mitch, it's been fun, fantastic. I definitely want to do this again. Um, where can people go to learn about Mitch Steven and all of that his organization has to offer? Okay, I have that right here. They gave it to me. I gotta make sure I get this right. Where is it at? Oh, there it is. Um, you can go to 1000houses.com. That's 1000houses.com forward slash Matt, M A T T, books. Ah. And that's where you can see the three books that I have for sale The Failing Forward to Financial Freedom, 200 Plus Ways to Find 
Bargain Properties and the Art of Owner Financing. If you want to watch a PowerPoint presentation that has the pictures and all the numbers and easy to follow um, my owner finance strategy, plenty of case studies, go to 1000houses.com forward slash Matt, M-A-T-T, Pro, P-R-O, Matt Pro. And I'm giving away, I say giving away, I'm practically giving away my book for $7. Uh, it's about a $20 value there at Amazon. Uh, and you can go to 1000houses.com, Matt7, the number seven, oh, Matt, the number seven. And you can get my uh, first book, the uh, My Life in a Thousand Houses, Failing Forward to Financial Freedom, for only seven bucks there. And, you know, if you just peruse around on those sites there, I have tons of free stuff. You know, Matt, people say you give away too much. I say, you know, there's two theories. Give away this much for this price and then tell them if they want a bigger piece of the pie, you need more money. And then if you want the real secrets, give me some more money. I don't like that way myself. So this is what I do. I give you everything I know. And if you think I can help you get someplace making less mistakes, then call me. Yeah, and it's a perfect philosophy. Mirrors my you know, if you can do it yourself, go do it yourself and more power to you. But I'm going to guess that it's still going to that education is going to cost you money one way or the other. You pay Matt or you pay me or you pay someone or you're going to pay it to the street. The street's going to get your money. Oh, my God. Such a more expensive school to go to. <laughs> it is. It, plus, it might. If you go out on the street and you lose on your first couple of deals, it may cost you a career that was going to be worth a fortune to you if someone would have just kept you from failing yourself right out before you got started. Right. And I'm, and I'm being serious about this. I don't care who you hire. Hire me. Hire him. Hire, But hire someone and make sure you vet them. Make sure they're doing what, they, what they're teaching. They have to be doing it. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm still doing 100 houses a year, so I'm doing what I'm teaching. Uh, and then make sure that they're the kind of person in the kind of place you want to be uh, 10 years down the road in your career. Make sure that that, that you want to be who he is, so you know, for sure. That's the integrity level, the whole thing. Yep. Uh, the finance level, the, everything. And if, the, and if you can get those to line up, then you got your mentor. Super. So Mitch's podcast is reinvestorsummit.com, reinvestorsummit.com. Find it here on iTunes, right where you listen to this show. And I'm sure you're on Stitcher and you're on the new Google Google Play, I think it's called. Google um, Play, yeah. Yeah. So you're everywhere. Everywhere podcasts can be found. Mitch is there. If you are in the car or on the treadmill and you missed all of those domain names, go to epicrealestate.com. Look at episode number 239. All you got to do is remember 239 over at Epic Real Estate. We'll have all of those links right there in the notes for you. All righty. We'll make it simple. Mitch, it's been a pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I guess by the time uh, this is, people are listening to this, Thanksgiving will have passed. But still, I wish you the best. And let's do this again. This was really fun, man. Amen. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, bud. All righty. Until next week, God bless. And to your success, I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. been listening to epic real estate investing the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the bs in real estate investing education if you enjoyed the show please take a minute to visit itunes and share your thoughts thanks for listening we'll see you next time here at epic real estate investing with matt terrio This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.